I'm trying. I'm trying. There it is. Alrighty. So bad at this. Alright, I'm gonna dance out. Woken up, so I'm not going <laughs> to so dance all the way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Andrew. And my name is Emily. And we're here today with two friendly faces. Uh, we have Dan and Michael, who are, I guess, at the helm of the pedal movie, the Reverb.com pedal movie. Hi, guys. Hey there. Hello. Thanks for having us. Coming to us from very different time zones. Yes, mm-hmm. Chicago, Scotland. And I'm in I'm in Scotland, which is <laughs> further from Chicago. <laughs> yeah. just a, I'm actually Scott wearing one of my favorite Chicago band shirts, Rat Boys. Oh yeah, they're yeah, dear friends. We're uh, we're big fans. Oh really? Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm mm-hmm. friendly with those oh, folks great. and um. Evan, one of the Reverb staffers, um, the drummer in his band is also the drummer in Rap Boys, I believe, or they have been at different points. So there's a lot of there's a lot of commonality. The, the Reverb offices in Chicago have a lot of like you know, well, prior to 2020, I guess, like you know, scene musicians, I suppose. So there's a lot of you know, you name a Chicago band, there's yeah. probably like six degrees separation with their band membership back to the customer service department or marketing department at Reaver. Mm-hmm. We had Julia on the podcast um, right after COVID hit because they had started doing their virtual shows, and this is actually a tour of virtual. It says virtual tour on the bottom, and then it has on the back all the dates of their uh, live streams this year. That's funny. So it's funny because I bought I bought their original tour shirt right after the tour got canceled. They did their first ever tour shirt with all the dates on the back. So I have the real one and the one that was you know I supposed to happen and then I, didn't happen. I completely forgot about this, but I think the last live show I saw before COVID was actually their tour kickoff show, which was at the Hideout in Chicago. Yeah, that I think that was. Oh the man, last. yeah, that timing works out because that was like. Um, that was like leap day ish. Like, yeah, and then I, can't, I don't remember if it was that or we. I, I saw this uh, Julian Lodge show that was amazing, but it was one of those two. Nice. Oh, I miss it. Oh, I miss live music. Well, it's a pleasure having at least one of you on the podcast. The other one reminds me uh, why I shouldn't grow a beard ever again. <laughs> yeah, because well. Dan, that beard's looking excellent. Thanks. I actually shaved it for the first time in like nine years uh, at the beginning of lockdown, just thinking it'd be a good opportunity to try that. And then kind of had this like crisis of like self image and confidence and immediately started growing it back, which, you know, is sort of what happens when you don't do anything. Yeah, that's about where I ended up. I, I didn't intend for this to, well, a little bit. It was more like a curious, like, I wonder if, and it's really easy to just let it happen passively because it requires no further action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I forget what Rick's, my husband's joke is about growing a beard is about people have asked him like, cause he used to have a big beard and people would be asking if it was like hard to grow the beard and he it's would more geese and he's just said like, it grows on you. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> He likes puns. There he is. Thank you, Rick. 
Just filling up my, my coffee mug. Nice. This is the part of the show where I say, hi, Rick. Andrew says, hi, Rick. He waved. He hates it when I do that. Well, Emily, what's new with you this week? Oh, boy, howdy, what's new with me? Um, <clears throat> I have to think about it. I have some new pedals, which shouldn't be shocking. But I was a little bit surprised because I'm sure I asked for this at some point, but I don't remember it. Uh, the Boss GT1000 Core. <laughs> and I'm just like, Damn. This is, I am going to have to dig in and study this piece, but I'm very, very excited for it. Thank you. Thank you to boss for sending this to me specifically Matt Knight. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I don't have like a, um, a helix or a HX stomp to compare it to, but, um, already just kind of digging around. It's so interesting that, um, it's so because the only other multi effects I've ever played with are really the um, the Pod Go, and it's so different in format from that. Though I think it's a little bit more um, versatile. There's your Pod Go, just kind mm. of holding it in the background creepily, like a doing my best fan so, of white. So if Lion Six wants to send me an HX stop, I'll do some comparison videos. But otherwise, this is gonna shine on its own. I think you're going to have fun with that. I think I will. I have the the MS3, which I'm sure there's a lot of crossover with the effects inside of it, even though the MS3 is more of like a kind of a multi-effect, but it's like a multi-switcher where you can add effects Mm -hmm. into the loops, but it's fantastic. It's great. I've heard stellar things about the MS3. I remember MS3... It came out when I was working at Guitar Center, I think. And I remember getting the first box in. And I'm like, all right, I got to play with this. And pulling out, putting on the counter, just sitting there like, where's the boss? Is he going to see what I'm doing? All right, cool, cool. I'm going <laughs> to keep going back to it. It just was really enjoying having fun with it. I'm like, wait. So it's it's more than just like a looper with a effect. Like it can do a little bit more than this. And yeah. I just I remember like grabbing you pedals out of the used cabinet Um and just like, like, and then the, there's always like the little box of, uh, like the Fender six inch, uh, jumper cables. I'm just grabbing those and setting this all up. <laughs> the boss finally caught me. It wasn't happy, but it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I would want you to like be able to intelligently speak about like complicated products like that. Pretty sure I was supposed to be counting cash for opening. So there's that. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> You're just calling leads nonstop, just nonstop call lead calls, right? <laughs> Yes. There's that. Oh, auto dial, auto dial. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> it's the worst day you walk in and you just get handed like four pages of 10 point font, single spaced. Call mm-hmm. these numbers by the end of the shift and you have to sell stuff while you're at it. Wait, so what was the purpose? So lead call, I've never worked at a guitar center, clearly. Were you just calling customers and trying to get them to buy more stuff? Yep. Just, you take the yellow pages, you just start opening it and hope that they're musicians. <laughs> No, Yellow uh, pages or white pages? Both. <laughs> I remember phone books. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. No, my, my store manager made a point of going through the database and, like, grabbing, uh, like, the customers who bought the most from me uh, and putting those at the top of my list. Like, hey, Jamie, thank you so much for buying that Roland TD whatever set for three grand. Uh, hey, I know you've already spent three grand with us, but we got a sale this weekend. We would love another three grand. Am I right? <laughs> you know what your you know what that Nord would like? 
a brother or a sister. Where the spirit of the Nord is, there's freedom. You have to, you have to, you have to have one on your right and one on your left, like Tori Amos. Yes. <laughs> All the dudes listening to this podcast are like, "Oh, of course that bitch likes Tori Amos." <laughs> Do people not I like, like Tori Amos? I just haven't heard. I have- Who doesn't like Tori Amos? Yeah. Even. I mean, I feel like her smells like Teen Spirit covers polarizing, but that's about mm-hmm. it, right? I mean, at least she tried to do something else with it. Fair. Yeah. No, I love me some. When I feel when I want to feel really when I feel sad and want to feel sadder, I just put on little earthquakes. Mm. <laughs> and when I brought up <laughs> Guitar sing. Center, that's not where I expected this to go. Divert, divert. Uh, Emily, what else is new with you? Nah, just let's skip me and let's go. Let's go to you. <laughs> like enough about me. Uh, so the. Arguably, no, not arguably. This is true. This is the coolest thing I got this week. Yeah, this is my good. secret Santa present. I'm going to hold it carefully. Uh, but this to is Tom a Kelly. from Tom Kelly. You are the best. Uh, this was okay. not on my list whatsoever. I am pretty sure I put a uh, electric kazoo on my wish list, and yeah. then just a generic whatever T-shirt you want me to wear on the podcast, and left that <laughs> as wide open as possible. I was a little scared leaving that one out there, but. Uh, I got this. Yeah, I wish I had gotten you. I would have sent you something weird. I, I would was have sent a, you the male guitarist shirt. <laughs> I was a little uh, concerned putting that in my wish list, but I was like, you know what? Got to step out of my bubble. I'm going to do it. Uh, no, but Tom ended up going with this. It's an orange camper mug with Fox Cairo's logo engraved on the side. Um, so that's not like a, it's not like a it's print. engraved. It's engraved. That's awesome. Oh yeah, no, that's not that's not something you can't rub that off. Um, it's next level mug it's a next level mug it's nice and heavy uh, and it's orange that's uh, arguably the most important part speaking of orange the other thing I got in this week is oh from our friends at Old Blood Noise Endeavors that looks like an expression slider dear it is an orange with lavender print Um, so it's uh, it's definitely in the orange family not quite neon orange but nonetheless it's orange and I'm a fan did you guys know how much Andrew loves orange? I didn't, but I now I do. Also. And if you like orange, you're really going to love reverb. <laughs> yeah. Man, do we have a closet full Honestly. of merchandise for you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, I, I'm definitely a fan of your uh, color scheme. And I'm just going to duck real quick and you can see the orange guitar. Ooh. Nice. Sitting behind me. Uh, that would be my Jennings Voyager Deluxe in Great orange guitar. with white binding and white dog hair. Um, we could just make this an episode about orange other- gear in sort of totality. Like we can talk about the Phase 90 a bit. We can talk my, about some of the short-lived uh, Tornado finishes from the 90s. Just orange. Orange gear. Exclusively. Mm. Andrew's one that got away was an orange, um, I guess orange metallic amps. finish, like metallic flake, um, supersonic. Fender supersonic okay. from the 2012 series, I think. Um, it was, it came into the guitar center I worked at, and I think it was, I had it on layaway. The sale price is like 400 bucks, something like that. And mm-hmm. I just didn't have the money at the time, so I had to put it back on the shelf. And now they're what, 1000, 1200 bucks? Oh, no. Yeah. <clears throat> that's um, one where you maybe ask some friends for some money. <laughs> I don't condone asking friends for money. Um, 
The last thing I've got here, I'm going to start opening this up. This is, this is the, uh, the prototype from the Mount Hood, uh, boost fuzz that we did with Spruce Effects a couple years ago. And Mm. you heard that right. That was a couple years ago. First of all, I know that was like the same, that was Valentine's Day, um, the year that, Right around that time, that was when the Ryan Adams article was coming out, and like I had a grandparent dying. I'm like, I can't deal with all of this right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least I had a fuzz pedal. Well, so we had the I had the prototype in hand, um, and then I was like, well, I've got the prototype, and now I've got my my copy of the unit. I don't technically need both right this moment. Um, yeah, so we've been sending the prototype around mostly to our Patreon supporters, um, so they could play with it, and then they would send it off to the next person. And then, weren't wasn't were they signing like a ledger or something? There, there should be a notebook in here. We'll see if it made it, and it looks like it did. Uh, there should be a notebook where people could leave notes. Um, did Elijah have it last? Uh, Elijah did. Yeah. Elijah. Sorry, sorry, Elijah. So here we go. And it looks like people signed the box. Cool. All right. So we've got some box signings. <laughs> Somebody draw a dick on it. I forgot Brian did. That's the serial number. <laughs> the serial number's a dick. Yeah, that sounds like Brian. I was really sad when I opened up my um, Badlands and it didn't have a dick drawn in it. Normally he does back. that. Send it back. Now, money back. <laughs> sounds like a reverb dispute in the making. <laughs> I'm actually afraid to sell his stuff on Reaver because I'm afraid that somebody's going to open up the back and be like, why are there penises in it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Everyone wrote a note in here. Oh, we'll have like to go through front, that later back. When, we're not on, when we're not on Michael and Dan's time. Yeah. No, I'm definitely have to. There's like several pages of this notebook. Um, I'm, I can't read this live on the podcast because I will cry. Um, yeah. All right. So don't. But I'm not going to read it, but I am just going to. There's. Notes inside the be- inside the box now, um, but here we go. There's the uh, there's the prototype in all of its glory, orange included. And I hate to be a hog of time. I just realized I forgot uh, I forgot one more thing that happened to me this week. I mean, I can tell you everything that happened to me this week if you really want to know. No, so I feel like most weeks I'm like I don't know what I have that's new. It's been pretty slow, and this week it's been like boom, 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 boom. I uh, Someone ripped me off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we talk about that later after we find out what's new from Dan? And yes, Michael? we'll talk about that later. We'll, I'll, I'll... <laughs> because you were going to announce the contest. I figured we would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. We'll do that close to the sponsorship. Yeah, cool. It's so let's start with Dan because he joined the chat first and it's later where he is. What's new with you, Dan? What's new with me? Um, I mean, I'm doing a lot of work on <laughs> this little movie project. Um, I am, um, being about as cliche of a person of my age and, and sort of proclivities by getting really into making sourdough bread lately. Um, I have a sourdough loaf cooling downstairs. I learned that you're not supposed to cut into it for at least three or four hours after it comes out of the oven which is like the hardest thing not to do because you, all you want to do is see how it, you know, the crumb formed and rose. So yeah. that's new. <laughs> I like bread. Nice. Yeah. If this didn't give it away. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it, I guess. 
oversized sweaters. <clears throat> nice. How about you, Michael? New with me, I think we've, we've been keeping really busy with the film, like Dan said. Um, but I have been doing a lot of home renovations because of what else? And like gut rehabbing bathroom. That's fun. Uh, and ba- sending baked goods. We've been putting on like my wife and I have been putting on Santa hats and driving around and masked, of course, and throwing baked goods <laughs> at our friends and then driving away. Nice. So that's filling the time nicely. And we can't eat all that baked goods. Got to give them, got to give them away. But you, the thing is when you cook the baked goods and you're going to give you, them I, away. I have could if you really need yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, they're earlier in, in. So are you like oh, throwing yeah. them at people's heads or? No, it's like a gentle, a gentle toss. Like, hi, come outside. Okay. Look Here you me. go. You know. Like a lob. A lo- yeah, there like a go. love lob. A love lob. Yeah. We don't want to break the love cookies. Love. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much love lobs, love blog. Love love loves love, love. My baking exercises are significantly more selfish than yours, Michael, I think. <laughs> I just eat it eat it all. This bread is for me. Not for thee. Nice. Cool. Well, we are gonna talk about the pedal movie really, really soon. I know Andrew's really itching to talk about this shirt thing. <laughs> It's like the first week you're not wearing your shirt, you're wearing Haley's shirt. I've been mixing cool. it up. I've been trying not to be super vain about wearing my shirt on the for the show every week, but I am really proud of the design. It's the uh, It Is Swell With My Soul shirt. Uh, the graphics of the volume pedal uh, going from zero to 100. And uh, it's been selling really well. I've I, At this point, I'm just like sitting in a constant state of like, my goodness, someone just bought three in one order and just like really enjoying seeing, um, I have, did he buy them all in the same size or did it seem like different sizes? Oh, Oh, my guess is Christmas. Yeah. Um, nice. Get the whole worship band's getting one. <laughs> Honestly, I, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I know of a couple different churches that, uh, all of their guitar players are getting one, um, on Christmas morning. Their guitar players. I know, it, but it's super play. exciting. I've been really, it's, it's been really fun to hear all the feedback uh, and banter from people. And then last uh, the, in this last week, I got a message from Haley at Rocket Music Gear. And she's like, hey, have you seen this yet? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to pull this up my phone. It's like 5 o'clock. And I'm like staring at this. I'm like, wait, someone ripped off my shirt design. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so wow. this random – I did a little bit more digging. It looks like a random Instagram that was built in the last six weeks. Um, and must've bought a whole bunch of followers. Cause it's got like eight or nine K followers out of the blue. Um, yeah. That sounds body to me. I think it's like beyond pedals or something like that. Uh, so, <laughs> I, All right. You're fine with the name being out I'm, there. Or am I going to have to make a footnote? No, I'm fine with the name being out there. They, they put it out there and they copied the shirt design and they even, they went as far as to copy the, uh, the description in the Etsy link on the shop. Verbatim. Uh, verbatim. Wow. Just copy. Full copy. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. It's bound to happen eventually. I'm getting a good laugh out of it because that means I've made it, right? If someone's stealing your yeah. designs, that means you've made it. So yeah. I'm getting a good kick out of it and I'm going to be running a giveaway, uh, to celebrate the, the occasion. On Tuesday, <laughs> the day this episode comes out. So, yes, Tuesday the fifteenth. Uh, 
I feel like I listened to an episode of 99% Invisible or something recently that was talking about how large fashion brands can like knock off independent designers really easily because the there's like no copyright protection for like, you know, like silhouette and cut and like that kind of thing. Um, you might mm-hmm. want to listen to yeah. that and, you know, bone up your, your legal defenses here, I guess, but it's, it's pretty interesting. It's not honestly, yeah. how's this for a segue? It's not honestly that dissimilar from copying pedal designs where the legal protections are not quite aligned with the, you know, reality of the form, I guess. It's a moral quandary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's true. I know that Urban Outfitters is just famous for ripping off designs they find on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like blatantly. Not quite as blatantly as Andrew's, but like such a big brand. Like just stealing from creators. It's not not my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, it's definitely... I. Uh... It's definitely icky and I definitely agree. I had a good discussion with my IP lawyer this week uh, and it was just the kind of the, the exactly what you just said. Look, I mean, there's only so much you can do legally, um, even though it's very clear you made this first. This is your idea. This is your graphic. Um, and it doesn't help that they're not located in the United States. They're mm-hmm. located in a country where copyright protections are in intellectual property is pretty much like. Eh. Right. Mm-hmm. No, doesn't help. Doesn't help. But that brings us into sponsors who can help you, listeners. Uh, Get Offset is sponsored by DistroKid. They make it easy and affordable to be as prolific as you want to be musically on the internet. Uh, for just $19.99 a year, you can upload as much music under your name and I think one other name as as you want. And uh, if you can get it on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, Napster, YouTube, uh, and they have tons of fun uh, bells and whistles. They have uh, some YouTube copyright protection things that are cool. They have like meme generators. They have a lot of other free and paid add-ons. Most of them are free. And um, we use it. My band Sunday Crush uses, used it to uh, do the digital release of our album, A Real Sensation. So it's been really cool to be able to track stats in there. Um, not quite to the point where I can look at things like payouts or bank or how many people are buying versus listening um, because those are those those stats are delayed a few months. But it's just been a it's been really it's been really nice to. It was nice that it was that easy and it's fun seeing like our videos, our songs and videos on TikTok and stuff. So that's another place you can put your music with DistroKid TikTok and Instagram stories. So yeah, check out DistroKid. Please use the link in the video description or show notes if you're listening to the podcast or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash get offset to save 7% on your first year of DistroKid. And if you sign up using that link, it supports the show financially. You save money, you support us. It's really a win-win situation, yeah? Sounds like a win-win to me. Yeah. Do you want to hit up uh, our other sponsor? Heartscaster Concierge? Yes. <clears throat> Heartscaster Concierge. I actually uh, had a phone call with him earlier this week. Uh, it was good stuff. We were talking about some ideas for what to do. I, um, But yeah, no, he, so he's... I think the most recent thing he's done that looks really exciting is he sent off a bunch of enclosures to low sounds. Oh, 
that's right. Because we, um, we Aisha just, was on the show last yeah, week. Yeah, we just had her on the podcast last week. Uh, and so he makes wooden enclosures. So I think he's got, uh, it was like a, um, just a bunch of single size enclosures, a bunch of double size enclosures, all wooden, mm-hmm. all stained. They all look gorgeous. And it looks like he sent them off undrilled. So uh, low sounds can do whatever they want to with those. So I'm very excited to see that. And uh, also excited um, about things that I can't talk about yet. But anyways, go check out. Parts- I can talk about things like I have a guitar body for from um, him, an RD style body that I've been meaning to work on for a couple months now. I think I finally have in all the parts. So it's just a matter of cleaning off my work bench in my garage and uh, sanding and staining the damn thing and then just putting it together like. I just need to get off my ass and do it. <laughs> I think the uh, the moral of the story here is uh, you got to ask yourself, do you like wood? And if the answer is yes, go check out Parts Caster Concierge and see all of the cool items that they've got in the shop <laughs> and all the items that they can make for you out of, <clears throat> you know, it <throat> wood. Yeah. His bread and butter is um, making bodies for parts casters, uh, customized bodies for parts casters, but he can also do the full build. So I know that for mine, there were body options, routing options, electronics options. You tell him what you want. Uh, you tell him what kind of neck you want. I think um, mine is just a drop-in strat neck pocket, so that's going to be really, really nice and easy uh, for assembly there. So, yeah, check them out. Again, link in the video description and show notes. Nice. That's, right. the, that's the finger guns, which... Uh, I'm pretty convinced they're going to have to be like the new greeting once we all start seeing each other in public again. I like the snap and point. Snap and point is good. Mm. You got to do it in one motion though. That's kind of – well, I guess the difference between snap and point and uh, finger guns is whether or not the thumb goes up, which doesn't make sense because that doesn't you can do the You can do the thumb up with a snap and point. I think we yeah, should do Yeah, we're the, the only ones doing this. Dan and Michael are like, Jesus. <laughs> the spin I'm move. Fan, I'm a big fan of a spin move because it's a little it's a little flarier. If you're on the street, if you're in close quarters, I wouldn't recommend it like on a train. But if you're What's just on, oh, it's just where you do a spin move. As and you then do maybe, the point. you end with a you you can end with a point, just a way to flare up the point a oh. little bit. You, know, so you have to. Uh, you I think, turn yourself 360 degrees. Oh, yeah. Hey. yeah, you got to pivot. I think legally you have to be wearing dark sunglasses though. Mm. To do that, or you're not allowed. You just and gotta maybe, be careful. Maybe a fedora too. You Ooh. have to be careful when you do it, though, because if you actually click your heels together, you end up in Kansas. Mm-hmm. This is unrelated, but the fedora comment sent me off. Um, did you see the Fender teamed up with someone who makes really nice hats? Like you can actually have a Fender fedora, and I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's fedorable. Fedorable. Ooh. Paging when, Jason Mraz at aisle four for what cleanup. Paging Jason Mraz in aisle four. Uh, I like hats though, so I was looking at the flat brim black with the bowler kind of top, and I was like, mm-hmm. gambler. I mean, gambler top. I was like, yeah, that's kind of a nice. Hat. I don't need another hat. Well, now I'm imagining you in a bowler hat. All right. <laughs> Good work. All right. So, um. <laughs> Pedal movie. Yeah, there's worse things people have imagined me in and told me about. So, <laughs> yikes! Um, quick divert, divert. Uh, pedal movie. There is a question. We 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 
we postulated something on the podcast a couple, what, three weeks ago now. And I, I get, I think it was last week. I think it was with Aisha. Was it? Yeah. Time is not a real it's a figment anymore. That's, yeah. that's the theme of the year is that time doesn't exist anymore. It's a figment of our imagination. Like what even is time? So, um, man, <laughs> I feel like I'm dangerously close the, the to question. becoming Joe Rogan with that comment. Uh, oh, you're not stoned enough. <laughs> have you done DMT? Uh, so we postulated something and it's been brought to our attention that possibly, which isn't uncommon for me. I was entirely wrong. So let's settle the record. I have to know a ballpark. How many terabytes of data are we working with in your vault right now for this movie? Did you, did you come up with a guess? Did you have like a, an answer that you thought was the correct one? Just curious. I wanted to say something in the ballpark of like a hundred terabytes, but I also recognize that I might be backwards <laughs> editing myself to try and get closer to the answer. Yeah, that sounds I don't like. Know, I don't know if most um, blockbuster films are 100 terabytes in, of footage, but uh, I would say I heard. I think I heard you guys talking about gigabytes, and then you were curious about. But there's about we have somewhere around like 100 hours of interview, and then many, many more hours of B-roll and other supplementary and archival stuff. So I'd say that it's sitting somewhere in like the six to seven terabyte range of footage. That's the hundred terabytes. A hundred oh terabytes. God. You could you could launch a SpaceX craft it's- with a hundred terabytes of data. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm orange. Very like unimpressive now. Because you thought it was a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just start with an impossible number, and then you give a, po- a possible right. number. It's six or seven terabytes, and then another ninety-three or so terabytes of Andy, of Andy demoing, you know, a Chase Bliss pedal or something. But we wanted to make sure we got like a really detailed demo of that one pedal. So, <laughs> yes, the automaton with uh, the Maris, the what I don't even remember the. The name of that one doesn't doesn't the CXM exactly I think it is yeah yeah and all of this is just a smoke screen so you guys get really close footage of how he uses his fingers as a pick to really just nail down what that technique is because how yeah still don't know. I mean, no one knows really it's a mystery it, it's been a mystery for what a decade now of Andy doing incredible guitar gear demos I, and. We- we have a real great Andy Easter egg. Actually, I shouldn't even have said that because I don't want to reveal this. Okay, I've away. said too much. Don't I've said too away. much. Okay. Should we edit that out? No, no, <laughs> no. We no, just no. Bl- we'll believe oh, that entire part I, out I, and just. No, I just feigned like humble, you know, oh, I couldn't possibly to build intrigue. I'm not going to say anymore, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's it. Anyway, so Chase Bliss, Automaton, what was it? <laughs> we love Andy. Yeah. 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 We, we love Andy. Andy's great. So you have a hundred hours of footage and you're going to put it into a movie, a single, single yeah. movie. 13 How? hour movie. A 13 hour. Oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even that sounds like it'd be really hard. Did cross our mind. Yeah. We thought about it. Yeah. Thought about turning the pedal movie into a pedal docuseries. Yeah. Still to HBO. Early, early on. Uh, truthfully. Yeah. We did talk about it early on. And 
then as COVID came, it was sort of like, well, people have an appetite for long form documentary footage. We were both, I was really into the Michael uh, Jordan documentary series that came out this year, um, which is like 20% Michael Jordan highlights. Like they just really pat out the timeline by just like having him, you know, dunk and stuff. Um, (laughs) So we we thought we could do basically the same thing, but um, just have the footage of like pedal makers being interviewed, interrupted by footage of Michael Jordan dunking in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) You can take the boy out of Chicago, but you can't take the Chicago out of the boy. Well, you know what they say. I mean, six seasons in a movie, that's the ideal show format. Right. Uh, I thought it was three seasons in a movie, and that was a Disney thing. Uh, I'm just quoting Abed from Community. Right. Mm. It's actually funny you mentioned that because my wife and I were watching Community earlier this year, and then we got to the season, which apparently is like the bad season, and just like stopped. The gas leak season? I'm not even sure, but there's like a season where they had they, different They call it the gas leak season because it just doesn't make any sense. And then yeah. later in the next season, they uh, refer to it as like the gas leak year. Right. Like the idea is that there was a gas leak and that's why everyone acted out of character. All the writers quit that's, that year. Right. So we well, have there's the, the writer strike and at one. Well, the, yeah, that was definitely a rough season. But anyways. Uh, next week on season eight of the Petal Show movie. <laughs> Can you imagine? So how do you I mean, guys? Hours. How? Like how do you begin to condense all of that down? That's a so great would, question. It's a big process. Out of that the, sounds insurmountable. Insurmountable. That's how English works. Sorry. It's pretty insurmountable. Uh, um. You know, as we were going on, we realized, you know, there's always somebody else we need to interview. And also, um, because of the nature of things, not only just COVID, but also just the nature of some people no longer being with us or some people no longer being in the industry or no longer kind of wanting to be involved. Um, we, we use a lot of archival material. So on top of filming our own stuff, we're also getting in hours of footage from the past, which is kind of cool. Supplemental material sources. Right. And so like, as we're going through all of that, we're essentially putting everything into transcripts and spending months, uh, right. Creating scripts. What, What we did basically, I mean, the more kind of, I guess, sort of like practical process here was we transcripted most of the interviews we just based on researching this topic and, you know, talking to everybody and having some knowledge, Michael and I kind of brainstormed. This is what we think is going to be the broad kind of outline, the buckets, the themes, the eras, the subject matter. And then it's a matter of going through every transcript um, and like copying it into different kind of guidelines, like to make kind of this functional outline that has all these quotations. And then from there going and digging through all the footage and actually dragging out, you know, what the couple minutes from this hour long interview that's actually going to be used and where that's going to go into this big thing. And that process creates this giant slab of marble, which is like this huge corpus of different quotations and and lines to form a narrative. And then it's a matter of just whittling that down chunk by chunk and chiseling out this uh, final product, I guess. Nice. Yeah, so you, you, ba- so you, you took what everyone said, you formed kind of a story around it, mm-hmm. and then you used those interviews to tell the story. Is that kind of? That's yeah, like, right? yeah, that's, I think that's a really, 
really like simple way of putting it because it's also right. like we're we're trying to tell a historical story that's accurate um and so you know we have to figure out we we're not narrating this film and we're not telling people what right. to say right no. so we we need to make sure that um that all the information is there but also there's so many kind of like sub themes within the industry and so much so many stories that just occur throughout like 70, 80 years of this entire story happening. So where do we want to dive in here? Where do we want to talk about this? It's a lot. You could do a documentary on any one of these pedal companies. <laughs> that's, that's really the, that's really kind of one of the main themes of this process is that the, as you kind of zoom in more and more, the detail gets more defined and it's sort of this like fractal where like, you know, there, there was enough material to make movie, uh, make a movie about like, you know, analog versus digital technology, right? Like, or, you know, like how I learned to solder. Like you have a lot of things yeah. that come up like over and over and over again, but pragmatically you really only need one person explaining how they learned to solder. You don't need, we don't need to hear that from every builder. So that's really been the yeah. creative challenge here is like, um, wanting to include everybody's voice and everybody's story in as much detail as possible, being recognizing the fact that it's not really, um, not, e- not only just not feasible, but also doesn't make it a necessarily a super captivating film to have the same kind of thing said over and over and over again. So that's really that, yeah. that balance we're trying to strike is like telling these stories and having the voices that kind of represent the broader stories. Well, it's really important to us that, this film like resonates with pedal nerds like us, but it also resonates with like music fans, people who might not be super deep into effects, but kind of are aware of them. Um, yeah. Or just like fringe people that are sitting next on the couch watching with the, with the pedal nerd and, and kind of maybe using this as like a spearhead to get into yeah. get a little deeper into effects or something like that. It's, it's a top level down sort of historical film. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and working at Reverb, I'm sure you have a general understanding of how many people buy and sell pedals. Again, not asking for not asking for specific numbers, but just like you know, you all probably know better than anybody how many pedals get bought and sold by different people every single year. Yeah, it's a huge market. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot, but it's it's one of those things where. Um, and you're asking me at a very good time because I, I've been doing a bunch of research for like a year end blog post we're going to do about like used and vintage price trends and stuff like that. So I've been kind of deep in the numbers this week, but like um, it's one of those things where there's sort of this like exponential curve where you have like the top 10% of pedal buyers make up like a much larger portion of the amount of like money and like transactions that occur for pedals because there are people, you know, like you guys may be, who maybe buy or sell, you know, 20 pedals a year, 30 pedals. And there's people, you know, who are more than that, that obviously. Um, and that's like a much bigger portion than maybe like, you know, the couple people who buy like one pedal a year. Like, you know, there's, there's many of those people, but maybe they don't account for like the full, uh, as quite as large of a share of the market as like the kind of power pedal flipper community, which is a pretty interesting dynamic, I think. Yeah. Totally. <clears throat> so um, I know that initially the estimate for this film being out was like this past summer. And then of course COVID hit. So I know that COVID kind of threw a wrench in things and you had to do a lot of um, remote interviews. 
Uh, how do you think that COVID hitting changed the the potential storyline or the the film as a whole? Like, did it have a major impact on the story you ended up telling? Uh, great question. I would say, cut me off, Michael, if you think I'm getting this wrong. I would say it probably didn't really affect the story we were trying to tell so much, but definitely changed some things that we were able to do in different ways. Um, and that can be a matter of just having to cancel some interviews and shoots we were planning on doing, which is a huge bummer, but pretty small in the full range of bummers from 2020. So, you know, can't complain too much. Um, so for example, we were, we were, we had out a route this sort of last filming trip to New York and possibly New England for like May that we canceled. And that was going to include spending a whole day at Electro Harmonics and filming an interview, a long interview with Mike Matthews that never happened. And we had some other artists sort of lined up that were going to, and, um, you know, Eventide and a bunch of other brands, you know, that were kind of, that was kind of the final hurrah that got canceled. And, um, you know, we, 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 I, I, you know, as I said, it's, it's a, it's a huge bummer. Um, I think the other thing though, to be completely honest, the the reason for the delay from the summer has less to do with COVID and has more to do with us just kind of pivoting the scope of the movie a little bit later in the game. Um, you know, originally when we started making this project, it was really going to be focused on the kind of modern chapter. Um, I can go look back at all my email chains from two years ago when we first started doing this and the working title of the project was like the rise of the boutique pedal industry, which is a way more LucasArts title than maybe was appropriate, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So we were really kind starting of, in episode four. Yeah. So we were really going to focus on like the modern era, you know, the theme, it was going to be a little bit more focused on like the, the, the artisans and builders that we know and like a little bit more in detail on that. As Michael was alluding to earlier, you know, we really want to make this film accessible to people who aren't just pedal heads who know a lot about the topic and kind of have their preconceived notions and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, so we decided that it was really important to kind of go back to the beginning and, and have this kind of first act that kind of tells the story from like, you know, the 30s, 50s and the origins um, so I think kind of wanting to do that part of it justice in addition to some of the just like the functional delays that happened with COVID um, kind of combined to, to create that delay. There is another I'm, I'm an optimist. So there there is another kind of silver lining that came out of of uh, COVID, uh, despite all of the negatives, um, which really was that because we we were almost forced into having this extra time. Um, by necessity to kind of like step back and go, okay, like how do we get Mike Matthews in this film, even though we cannot physically go film him. Once we started realizing, okay, we can part, we can utilize some of our, our friends and partners and filmmaker friends who have, who have done things in the past with some of these folks. We also started to realize, well, this is a way that we can start to lean on our more tech savvy and uh, uh, pedal friends or media friends, even like yourself, Emily, who we can interview abroad because they have filmmaker friends and we can kind of include more voices that we were hoping to include in the first place. Uh, we were just hoping to do it in person. Now we're able to actually bring in. So we were able to actually conduct and actively realize, oh, we can do more interviews maybe uh, if we just do it this way. And 
that was kind of a blessing because we were able to uh, uh, get a lot more voices in uh, when all was said and done, which is yeah. good. Yeah. How many how many remote interviews do you think you did? Uh, I want to say probably like spot, no more than ten, maybe six. Well, it oh, it, that's it. No, maybe, it's, maybe it, I'm trying to think. You're, you're thinking of ones that you did, you physically did, but there, yeah, it's okay. actually more like I, my entire worldview is just based on my own experiences. I don't. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. It's probably somewhere around fifteen if you count a couple artists and a couple other things. Oh yeah, uh, interviews that point. I did interviews that I did are things that were commissioned uh, and their the producer uh, was just doing stuff. Yeah. The other thing I want to call out, which Michael alluded to, but I think it's um, a cool thing to mention is that we have two uh, partners who are working with who have been really amazing and are giving us access to a, a big repository of interview footage that we're using to supplement, particularly the historical part of the film. Um, and I, I don't want, I want to give them some props because they're so been so great to work with. One is, uh, the NAM oral history program, which if you're not familiar with that, it's like oh. this, it's this really cool thing. The NAM organization does where they interview industry people every year at the NAM show. And they have this library. It's on their website. Um, just of like, it's not just guitar stuff. They have, you know, synthesizers, trumpets, whatever, but they have people talking about their like life work, you know, designing instruments or being involved with the music or business in some way or another. So through that, we were able to get some old archival interviews with some folks who are no longer with us who represent important parts of the story. And that's been really wonderful. And the other one is um, our dear friends over at Dunlop slash MXR have done a couple similar historical projects to this for like some of their own brands and product lines about like the MXR brand and um, the Crybaby, so um, that's that's helped kind of fill in those chapters a little bit as well. And they're they, they're legends. Awesome. So, a question I have for you: so you filmed all of this, and then you're coming back and looking at it and figuring out how to just condense this all in a way that makes sense that tells a story. And at some point along the process, I'm sure it had to have occurred to you. Um, the, the moment of fear of, are we incidentally being revisionist in the way that we tell this story here? And how do you, how do you wrap your brains around that and get ahead of that in a way that ensures that you guys are being honest to the stories that other people have told? Or is that not even a concern? That is a, that is a very good question. That's a Terry Gross level question. Good job. That's. It's it's really hard, and I, I don't think anybody here would be surprised to learn that there are people who care about music gear and music gear history and pedals and things who have very fierce opinions about how much more an expert they are than the other person or that. And, you know, history, like, especially when you're talking about recollect, I mean, I'm no professional historian, but I'm, you know, studied history in college and like this is like the fabric of how history is done is like somebody remembering something that happened 20 years ago. It's not going to be actually what happened. The source that you're working with is their recollection and memory of it. So there's always going to be some gray areas that exist. There's always, and frankly, I won't go into in specifics here because no spoilers or anything, but there's at least a few things that we're aware there are kind of like contradictions. And he said, she said sort of stuff that comes up. I think the best thing you can do to square that is try to be somewhat objective in showing different perspectives, showing different sides of the story, um, and being rec- and in sort of leaning to the fact that like the fact that the truth is amb- 
ambiguous is the truth in and of itself. That's crazy late night dorm room talk, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, um, I think as long as you, as you're not trying to like mislead anything and, and being like very upfront that like, this is, you know, there's some conjecture here and some assumption and some fuzziness, like I think particularly fuzziness, um, that that's, that's a valid way to approach it. <laughs> and the other good thing is, you know, f- for the most part, we're basing, even if there's multiple faces talking about the same subject, as much as we possibly could, we're corroborating whatever information we can through the, through the, the, the main person's story, even if it's not them speaking the entire time. So if we're talking about, Electroharmonics, you know, the majority of the information that we're trying to corroborate against is from Mike Matthews, right? So if he's telling the story, we're assuming he's telling it correctly. Um, same with Robert Keeley or same with, you know, any number of people. Um, and then if, if somebody's popping in to sort of say, you know, this thing or this thing, we're kind of going, is this correct? And fact checking it against maybe something that actually came up in a Mike Matthews interview. So there's a good amount of fact checking and things like that. And then like Dan said, like there are a couple of those really fun ambiguities. Um, They're still coming from the mouths of the people who made them ambiguous in the first place, but that's part of the fun. It's kind of up to you to decide. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't mean for that question to come off as like leveling accusations because I really don't, I'm not concerned about that from either of you, but I think it's important for listeners to hear. Um, and I think especially in a subject where people are so passionate about this, um, and people who have dug in themselves into a lot of the history, um, before watching this movie, I'm sure that that's, there's a, a risk of people being upset with the reality being different than what they understood it to be. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's an interesting point. It's not something that we're super worried about because when you see the movie, you'll understand like a lot. It's, it's, there's, there's very few instances where somebody says something like this thing was the first one of these things. And it is the most important, like there's not, it's, it's much more kind of broad stroke and like, and like, um, general is in generalizations and, um, sort of influences. It's not like, I mean, frankly, if somebody wants a definitive timeline of every pedal and every pedal company in like the exact order, you know, like, I'm sorry, that's, this is not necessarily the movie for you. Like, it's, it's much more. Some about, people want, some people have really seemed like they want that. Right. And, and for that, there are books, but you could, that would, that, that would be a 10 hour film. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. At least. At least. Yeah. I've got the pedal crush book sitting over there on my bookshelf and read through that a couple of times. I've got a history Actually, offender uh, book over there. And, um, that would be a Ken flip, Burns documentary. If you flip to the very end of the pedal crush book, you'll find the historical timeline of pedals that I wrote for it. And most of the information in that is like, it overlaps quite closely with the research we did for the movie. It's like basically the pedal crush is like a secret. Think- like, Yeah. Sorry. I think people, what people should be hoping to sort of get out of this film is the broadest stroke story that we're trying to tell here is more so how does ingenuity of human beings 
combined with technology influence music and how does that continue to happen over and over again and very with completely differing backgrounds and stories really that's it, it's the story of all of these things interweaving throughout decades and decades and decades right exactly it's it's not like you know, if somebody wants to watch, if somebody, I, I, I sound like I'm being like defensive about this, which I really don't mean to be, but like, if, if, if your intention is to watch this movie and have, find like a gotcha, like, oh, they didn't talk about this or they didn't bring up this or they didn't interview that, like, you're going to have a really easy time because it's not feasible to make, you know, a <laughs> movie that goes into detail at every, you know, there's lots of people that we didn't include. We, you know, we, or couldn't get there's to or couldn't. Thousands and that's, of there's literally thousands of federal companies. That's kind of one of the points of the movie is that there's too many to keep track of. Like, but even historically, and it's like, again, it's like, um, you know, we, we have, we, I think what we're trying to do is have like sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of case studies for different eras and different themes and different mm-hmm. topics and different pedal and like different sort of, uh, trends and things like that. That's like, oh, this is like how this happened and how this company or this person or this musician did it. It's not necessarily a Rolodex, but it's like, um, you know, it's more, I mean, in a Ken's, in a Ken Burns film, for example, like, um, I'm going to kind of show myself to be a bit of a civil war nerd here for a minute, but, um, in the civil war, Ken Burns civil war series, it's really great. And he does a good job offering a sort of overview, you know, survey of the history of the war, but it doesn't talk about every single battle, you know, it doesn't talk about every single general, but what it does do is it shows you humans who experienced the war through their letters and through their, their journaling. And it's like this one, this one, you know, um, person in the South writing about her experience living in Richmond is sort of like the case study for lots of people living in the South. We don't necessarily need to hear from every single one of them. And I yeah, swear that's right. right. Did a good example. Yeah. But like, I, I, I have seen that a couple times in message boards. Like, how could you have a documentary about guitar pedals without including this person or this person or this person? Like, well, that person had a, they all had a lot of peers and they all had a lot of people making pedals and they were all influential in their own ways. And you just, you can't talk to or about all of them. It's just not feasible. Well, I mean, I think that's just the nature of the beast of the documentary, which uh, don't mind me. I'm just logging into uh, the gear page so I can rant about this. Uh, (laughs) What? Oh, is it? Are you pulling up? Oh, are you? I'm not actually. Uh, I don't, I don't have a login for the gear page. I have a modicum of self-respect. So I I think it's just the nature of the beast uh, with all of this. 100%. And like I said, there's going to be people who, who, who want to watch this and they're going to, you know, share their opinion about how we're criminal for leaving out so-and-so and not talking to so-and-so. Yeah. And, you know, like, we totally get it. But I think I think that perspective is one where it's like, it's it's just, it's just physically, you know, it's not possible to reach every single person in this industry. It's really expansive and really, um, you know, multi-pass. Right. That's okay. Yeah, I'm sure I, I got to assume that you all wanted to hit different, like just, you could have done, oh God, I don't even know how to say this. You could have, I don't know. I'm just going to cut yeah. that out because I don't really know. But I feel like just looking at the previews, it looks pretty diverse in terms of 
different types, different sizes, different pedal companies that speak to different genres, different time periods. Like it, it's not like you said, just focused on, you know, the post 2000s. It's not just po- focused on, um, the, the, the original effects that Jimi Hendrix used. It's not just focused on this Americans or Brits or anything. Sorry. A question that I have is my partner, my wife is, uh, has been watching me just dive deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole over the last few years and, um, scratching her head on occasion and, um, but recently we've gotten into talking about like, okay, well, could you show me like some of what all of this does? And, um, I think I sent her the vid- the reverb.com video of, uh, the show, uh, kids teaching kids what the, the effects are. That video is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, so watching that with, uh, with Melissa was, was really neat. And I, I guess my question looking forward to the pedal movie is, is this something that you feel like, can I go to her and be like, Hey, so this is going to come out and we're going to sit down and watch it together for the first time. And it's not going to be weird. It's not going to be like me strapping you to a chair and making you watch star Wars with me. First of all, I'm so incredibly glad that, that you, that you showed somebody who's not into effects that video. Cause that was like the entire reason why we made it was to make like a fun video. Aww. That was a primer for like anybody, children, adults, anybody. So that's really cool to hear. Um, but yeah, I think I think it is. I think I think the, the reason that we've sort of pivoted the film to like let's make this like um let's make this a human story. Let's make this a story about history, about ingenuity, about like actual people that are kind of remarkable and kind of created this entire industry um and then furthered it throughout all of this stuff is a story that that is meant to uh, appeal to a wide range of people while kind of also um, helping them realize like, oh, wow, these things actually had a lot to do with how music sounds. And if you like music and if, you know, if you like this sort of pedally bands, whether you are into Pink Floyd or Radiohead or whatever, um, you'll probably find something in the film that you'll really enjoy, even if you're not a pedal, uh, you know, pedal nerd. Yeah. I think the best documentaries are the ones that really get into the human aspect of whatever the subject matter is to the point where like, if you don't like basketball, maybe you can still enjoy the last dance. If you don't like baseball, maybe you can still enjoy Ken Burns baseball series because it talks about human elements. Like, I think those are the best documentaries where you can see it's on, start watching it and be like, I don't know what this is at all. And then come out with some sort of understanding or at least connection with, um, if nothing else, the people in it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to make this film was because over, you know, the last for me six years, for Dan eight years of sort of being um, involved with a lot of these brands, you you get to know them, but you realize that for decades, for some of these companies, decades, people just associate them. They don't associate a person. They associate a brand. They associate a name, way huge, or they associate JHS or, or whatever. They don't really know the person behind it. They don't sometimes realize that it is just a handful of people or it's one person. It's not assembly line companies. And even for the larger companies, they don't really associate the history behind like what Mike Matthews actually accomplished. They think about a massive factory, right? So I think it's important when you actually realize like how influential and important 
effects pedals were to the creation of sounds and music, it's important to look at who was behind that stuff throughout history. And that continues today. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I, oh, I I, I, <laughs> go ahead, Andrew. I, I, I guess the, the follow-up thought that I have in the back of my head is just this unrealistic hope uh, that people will be able to sit down and watch this with their partners and be like, all right, so I'm going to start talking about per my purchases with you because now I feel like we both understand why this is so important to me instead of lying uh, <laughs> about purchases and sneaking into the closet and uh, posting I, all the dumb memes to the internet about, <laughs> I laid my wife, she's dumb. <laughs> I definitely can't speak for anybody's significant others or partners, but you know, it, it, it could, it could not, it could, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, in general, it's not like that should have to happen for you it, not to lie to your spouse, but sure. if anything, it'll certainly help uh, elucidate how, um, there can be so much variation, you know, and how it's, it's not like the sort of thing where you, why do you need a pedal? You already have a pedal. I mean, I mean, I don't think most people are saying that, but I think that dynamic of like, there, I, mean, I feel that way just, sometimes when I look at my pedals, I'm like, I already yeah. have. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, you know, it'll, it'll help with that at least. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the, the family element of, making it accessible. Um, I think that's really neat. And I'm really excited for all the ways that that's going to flesh itself out. And and like, I think, you know, I think a lot about my, uh, my dad, when we talk about this sort of thing, I think this came up when Michael and I were talking recently. It's like, my dad has been playing guitar since the sixties and he's like a really good musician. Um, but he doesn't like, like he's been on the reverb email list, you know, since the company started just because he wants to support me and stuff. And he'll, he's has said to me in the past, is like, yeah, you guys send me all these emails with all these different pedals. I just don't get it. Like, why do you need that many pedals? Why don't you just get a multi-effect? And it's like, you know, it's a good point, first of all, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but it's like, you know, but I mean, he loves classic rock and, he, you know, he's interested in like music history and stuff. Just like, you know, like all our dads, I guess. But like, um, so he he's maybe a little bit more invested than like, you know, a random person who's not involved with music or play music at all but this film i think it's like if anything it should answer the question why would you why wouldn't you just get a multi-effect it's like there's this connection that michael was alluding to between the history of the pedals the history of music in general and i think if we can inspire people to understand that that and it's and what's so cool about it it's, it's a cyclical relationship right it's like somebody invents a piece of music technology this is i mean this is a much broader theme that goes way beyond pedals but i, I i'm always obsessed with this it's like somebody creates a piece of music technology, some musician uses it, maybe they use it in a way that wasn't intended. And the next generation of that music technology incorporates the way that person was using it. And it creates this feedback loop between engineer, developer, designer, and musician. That is how you get things like, you know, pad based samplers or out of drum machines. Like it's, it's like, that's a very weird evolutionary path for the technology to follow but it's the way that people have misused the technology and to go back to the previous point you guys were talking about about you know i'm sure people are going to be upset about x or y person not being involved you know you have to remember that when we're going through and and when this is such a large story that isn't just about individual stories right we're trying to 
tells story, you know, the entire story, which has a lot more to do with general trends and themes and things that occurred, you know, part of the reason why the people who are in the film are in the film. And of course there's many, many more that we wish we could have uh, interviewed is because we needed folks that could speak to a certain very specific, larger, broader thing than just their company. Right. And we needed multiple folks who are knowledgeable in a certain aspect or in multiple aspects of not only the historical aspect of effects pedals, but also like the larger part about certain technologies, DSP technologies, or any number of things which you'll see in the film. And so that is why this sort of diverse sort of uh, amount of folks in the film um, is the way that it is and isn't necessarily every single person that you could possibly think of. Right. A, a really, a really good example of this would be um, one of my favorite interviews we did was with uh, Mike Beagle, who was one of the co-founders of Mutron Musictronics back in like the early seventies. In fact, you can actually watch a big chunk of that interview on the Reverb YouTube channel if you are so inclined. And that's about um, as close to a, you know, extended look at the movie I think is, is out there. Um, so, you know, Mike Beagle, we did this great interview and he spoke to these themes of like, what was it like starting a music company in the early seventies? How did his background as an electrical engineer and a synthesizer enthusiast at MIT as an undergrad inform his approach to designing pedals? And it's, it's, it's like this, re and how, you know, how is him hearing, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder using a Mutron? Like, how did that change his life and his perspective, you know? Um, so he, he, you know, he's a really great person who speaks to a lot of these kind of general themes, but you know, we don't have interviews with people who founded everybody who founded a pedal company in the early seventies. We don't have interviews with, um, you know, the people from like Fox or, or DOD, for example. And it's not from lack of wanting to have those people represented, of course, it's just that, you know, we can only do so much and, you know, we have to cover these things again, more on like a thematic level than a Rolodex, you know, here's company one, here's company two, here's company three. And that doesn't, that isn't to say that those companies aren't represented in some way course, or mentioned in course. some way. It's just that maybe somebody from that company was not interviewed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. I just want to watch it now. <laughs> yeah. When, when can people watch it? Do you think? So that is the million dollar question. Um, in the spirit of total transparency and honesty, um, we haven't actually made a movie at all. This is all a big scam because reverb's evil and everything. No. Um, <gasps> in the spirit of transparency, we don't have a hard release date yet because we're still waiting for a few boring kind of administrative pieces of the puzzle to fall into place. Um, you know, various kind of clearances and, and, and that kind of thing. Rights um, clearances take a lot of time. That's, yeah, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And I don't think we're making, we're going to shock anybody to say that this is the first time we've made a feature film um, for commercial release. We maybe, eh, maybe somewhat underestimated the um, rights legal component of this and what that would require of us a little bit to put it generously. <laughs> um, <laughs> our, our hope is that it's going to be, it's going, we're going to have a hard date relatively soon, hopefully in the next few weeks. And that hard date will be um, by the end of January. It is possible. It'll be a little bit later than that, but that's, that's what we're working with right now. But I will say. We're working really hard to make it as soon as possible. 
Yes. That's if anybody great. wants the latest information, uh, follow at the pedal movie on Instagram and Twitter. We did make a Facebook page, but I'm never going to update it. So you can skip that one. <laughs> So uh, that sounds like a good place to wrap it up. Thank you so much to Dan and Michael from the pedal movie. Uh, Follow the pedal movie on Twitter and Instagram. I'll include links to that in the video description and the show notes. Um, Check out Andrew's contest that he's running on the Fox Cairo. I'm sure get offset. will share that on Instagram and Twitter uh, and probably Facebook, but I think the contest is probably going to be on Instagram from what Andrew has told me. Um, anything else we need to say? Andrew's on mute. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah, Go thank on. you for having us. Yeah, and I wanted thanks. to thank you guys both. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, for, for being on the show, but more importantly, uh, thank you so much for putting in all of the, the blood, sweat and tears into making this movie. Absolutely. Uh, I know that's not, that that's a huge undertaking for both of you and for you guys to, to go out of your way to make this happen, I think is going to have a huge impact and we're really appreciative of that. Yeah. Thank you. We, we hope are. so. We really hope so. Thanks. Great. Well, um, to everyone out there listening. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, my name. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. Well, uh, We'll see. It we'll see if. <laughs> um, right. I think you're a little delayed. Yeah. Well, um, to everyone out there, thanks for watching, listening. Thanks for understanding. Um, once again, my name is Emily, and my name is Andrew. That's Dan and Michael from the Pedal Movie. Um, goodbye. Bye. Bye.